Diary of a Home Care Worker by Rita Nemo with Julian Hutchings. Episode 3. Wednesday. Elizabeth has three calls a day. Breakfast, lunch and tea. I usually see her at lunchtime. Someone else does the morning and evening calls. It's just the way my rotor pans out. She's 92. Frail, thin, brittle bones, bad arthritis, not very mobile, eyesight poor, visually impaired, as we say. Husband passed away ten years ago, has a daughter, lives about 50 miles away, but sweet, kind, good-natured, never complains, at peace with the world and always has a kind word for me. She brightens my life. You might think, diary, that all my clients are miserable and I complain about about them all of the time, but that's not really the case. I suppose what I write here is the weird or unpleasant things that happen because they give me more to write about, but there are lots of nice things and people too. She has a key safe, so I used that and called out when I came in the door so she'd know it's me. It must be disconcerting if you're elderly and stuck in the house and someone comes in the door all quiet and you don't know who it is. So I call out. It was a miserable day, cold and drizzly with that fine rain that seems like nothing, but you still get soaked and the clouds heavy and dark even though it was the middle of the day. I expected to see her in her armchair by the window, where she usually is, the TV on with the sound turned down and Radio 4 blasting away. But she wasn't. I went in the bedroom and found she was still in bed. Hello, Eliza, I said. She likes me to call her Eliza. She turned her head and looked at me. I think she'd just woken up as she seemed a bit unsure of where she was or who I was. Are you not feeling well? I said. What's the matter? I didn't get my morning call, she said. No one came to get me up. I've been in bed since eight last night. It was now 12.45. I'm so sorry, I said. Did the agency call, tell you if there was a problem? Nothing, she said in a sad voice. No phone calls, nothing. I looked in her care book. There was a visit recorded for the previous evening, saying she'd been put to bed. But nothing since then. This makes me so angry. There are missed visits sometimes for understandable reasons. They shouldn't happen, but they do. For example, someone is off sick at short notice and there's no one left to cover. We're not perfect, even though we should be. But for no one to phone and speak to her, to check whether she was okay, knowing she's alone and vulnerable, it makes me so cross. I phoned the agency and spoke to Julia, the care coordinator. I'm at Elizabeth's, I said. She didn't have a visit this morning. She's still in bed. Do you know what happened? Let me check the system, said Julia. Oh yeah, you're right. No one's logged in or out. I don't know what happened. I thought the system gave you an alert if a visit isn't logged. Doesn't it? It's supposed to, said Julia. But someone has to be looking at the computer and we're short-staffed today. Jenny's off sick. Can you apologise to her and get her up? I'll have to, I said. But it's not good enough. You need to find out who was supposed to have been here and get them in for a disciplinary. You sound like my manager, said Julia. I mean it, I said. This is serious. She could have had a fall or anything. I know, I know, said Julia. Jesus, you don't have to tell me. Who was it, I said. Who was supposed to do the call this morning? Let me see, said Julia. Sharon. It was on Sharon's rotor. Sharon, I should have guessed. I made my apologies to Elizabeth and helped her out of bed and into her chair. She was very grateful, but she shouldn't have to be. 
Getting the right service at the right time is her right. What a privilege. Friday. Cynthia is from Jamaica. She came over with the first tranche of Windrush migrants at the end of the 1950s. Spent most of her life as a bus conductress, luckily retiring before that job disappeared. She's in her 80s now. Dark-skinned and white-haired, smiles a lot and flutters her hands when she speaks. I think she's in the throes of religious mania. I'm not really religious. I go to church sometimes, but I never had much faith and what I had I think I lost somewhere along the way. Or it lost me. Cynthia wants to bring me back and keeps trying to get me to go along to her church. She goes every Sunday. Someone picks her up and takes her down and brings her home after fervent praying and loud singing. Praise the Lord, she says all the time. Come back to God, Rita, she said today. Praise the Lord with me. Um, I said, I'm not keen, but I don't want to say. I don't want to mix business with pleasure. I often work on Sundays, I said. I don't have the time. You shouldn't work on Sunday, said Cynthia. Praise the Lord. But if I don't work, or other carers don't work, who's going to get everyone up and ready for church? God will provide, said Cynthia. How? I said. I know I shouldn't argue, but sometimes you need to question things. Praise the Lord, said Cynthia, which is her answer to everything. And maybe it is, but not in my world. We get new carers from internet advertising or friends of friends. We don't get them from God, as far as I know. Monday. I was working with a woman the other day who told me she was working illegally. Why would she tell me that? I have a good mind to dob her in, but she's a good worker and we need the staff. She said her passport was forged, but it was a good one and no one could tell and she used that to get her other document. She said she was able to apply for a DBS check, a criminal record check, with those documents and told the agency her passport was with the immigration people and so they applied for her DBS. I can't see the point of a DBS on someone who's only been in the country a few weeks. It seems to me that if you get a DBS on someone who's just arrived here, then it's bound not to show any conviction. But that's this mad system we have. To work in home care, you have to have a DBS, never mind whether it's worth anything or not. She told me she knows loads of people who have forged documents, but the agency was desperate for staff, and if they got rid of them, there wouldn't be enough people to cover the visits. Most of the care workers are middle-aged and black, mostly African, and the rest are from Eastern Europe. There's hardly any white people, and hardly anyone under 25, except me, of course, and Simon, that new lad. Except he left, didn't like it, said he couldn't get on with the faeces, like it was a troublesome neighbour. That is, I'm not under 25, but I am white, not that it matters, or should matter, although it matters to some people. I don't know why young white people don't go into care work. Well, I do. Who wants to be paid £7.83 an hour or less to clean someone's bum? when they could be folding jumpers in Topshop or listening for the ping from the Tesco barcode reader. But it is a shame. It's better than being unemployed, isn't it? But they don't think so. That idiot Tim seems happy enough to be unemployed. I'll probably do this for the rest of my life. I can't see me retiring for a long while yet. And what else can I do, after all? I'm the bum-clean woman, and there's plenty more like me working. But what happens after we're gone? Maud shouted at me today. Actually, she shouts at me every day. Girl, she shouts, where's my tea? I know it's hard for her. She's 89 now and can't see very well and she's not very mobile and she's diabetic. 
and none of her family visit anymore, so she gets lonely. But I often think, I'm all you've got. Why don't you be nice to me? I don't expect much. I don't think I'm greedy, but I do like people to be polite and civil. That's a good word, civil. But I'm going to say something which might be a bit controversial and get me into trouble, but the sad fact is that some old people just aren't very nice. There, I've said it. And they probably never were very nice. All that happened was they got old. But it doesn't change your personality. I hope I'm nice to people when I get old and need care. That's if there's any care workers left by then, which there probably won't be. Wednesday. I'm having trouble with Tim. Bear with, as that woman used to say in that Miranda Hart comedy. Whatever happened to her, by the way? I used to like her. She was funny and very tall. But you never see her now. Anyway, bear with. Patricia Hodge, that was her name. She played the mum and a right pain she was. Not as much of a pain as my mum was, but still. Anyway, sorry, I do go on, don't I? Well, why shouldn't I? It's my diary. If you don't like it, don't read it. And you shouldn't be reading my diary anyway. It's rude. No, it wasn't Patricia Hodge who said bear with. I just remembered it was Sally Phillips, the scatty one. I think she has a disabled son. I mean, a son with disabilities. In real life, I mean. Not in the programme. Not that that's relevant. Back to Tim. I don't know if I've told you this, diary, but Tim, he's my ex, who left me nearly four years ago now for a younger model. Sally, her name is. The cow, I call her. And no, she's not a care worker or a model. Oh, no. She's got a good job or so, he says. But get this. She works in a nail bar. A fucking nail bar. Sorry, I shouldn't swear. Don't tell me that's a good job, because it ain't. Anyway, Tim, he's supposed to pay me maintenance for Richard, but of course he doesn't, to be fair, and one should be fair. He used to, but he stopped. And why has he stopped? Because Sally, the cow, who had a kid already, a girl called Maisie, shit name if you ask me, she used to get maintenance from her ex, who's called Kev, by the way, big surprise. Not that I'm a snob, of course. He's a bus driver, and he's stopped, and therefore Tim, and I hope you're following this diary, says he has to give her money for Maisie, and so he can't afford to give me money for Richard. Can you believe that? I don't believe it. Well, I do, actually. That cow will do anything to mess up my life. Thursday. Madge has been reassessed. There are four levels of need assessed for social care. Low, moderate, substantial and critical. It does what it says on the tin. If you need a little bit of help with your personal care, or what they call activities of daily living, you're assessed as low, while if you can't manage at all without support, you're assessed as critical. When I started in this job, some councils provided service to people assessed as low, so they might get a shopping call or a cleaning service. But as time has gone on and council budgets have got tighter, that's changed. Nowadays, to get offered any support at all from your local council, you've really got to have critical needs. I doubt if most people outside the care industry have any real clue about what that means for their family member or increasingly for themselves. Because we're all going to get old and most of us are going to need care. But unless we're really desperate, we won't get it. And unless the situation changes, that's only going to get worse. You'd better hope you've got family to look after you. Because if you don't, you've got trouble coming down the track. Madge was at the substantial level and she got some support. Not much, but it made a difference. But she was independent, feisty, a fighter. Never wanted the help, fought against it, determined to do without it. 
and now she's got her wish. Be careful what you wish for. I read that somewhere. She had a visit from an assessor with a form and a lot of boxes to tick or cross. They used to be social workers employed by the council, but not anymore. Now it's done by a private contractor which has a contract with the council. Nothing wrong with that. I'm a private contractor. But our job is to provide care. Their job is to take it away. That might sound unfair, diary, but it's true. And of course every person assessed as needing less support means less work for the agency and hence for me. So now Madge is assessed as moderate in her needs and her council doesn't provide support for people with moderate needs. I'll miss you, Rita, she said on my last day. I'll miss you, Madge, he said. I'll be all right on my own, won't I, Rita? You will, Madge, I said. You'll be fine. I'm glad she's more independent. I'm glad she can manage on her own. But I do worry about those people who could really deal with some support and won't get it. And also, a bit of work put into prevention and keeping them independent could stop them slipping into the situation where they need more support later on. And that seems a bit short-sighted to me. But what do I know? Friday. I have a client. Lovely man. Perfect almost. But his wife. Listen up, diary. He has multiple sclerosis. Had it for years. And it's gradually broken down his life. Enclosed him. You know, sometimes you see in films good guys trapped in a tunnel or a cave or something. I think one of the Indiana Jones has, films has this. And the walls start moving inwards and the ceiling starts to move downwards. So the cave or tunnel or whatever it is, it, it is, is getting smaller and smaller and they're getting more and more squashed and you don't know whether they'll escape or get crushed. In the film, they always escape, of course, like some secret passage opens or they get rescued by the beautiful girl or the dragon, I don't know. But multiple sclerosis is the opposite of that. The tunnel or the cave just gets smaller and smaller and there is no escape and no secret passageway and in the end it destroys you. Well, George is in that position. His cave has almost closed up now so there isn't anything he can do except watch TV or listen to the radio. He can't move himself and his voice is going so it's difficult to understand him. Not that that is his fault. It's us who can't communicate with him, not the other way around. He has four visits a day and there are two carers, so that's 28 visits a week. Or 56 man visits, or woman visits, it should be, because it's usually women who go. But not always. I can do the maths. Anyway, he's lovely. Never complains, never shouts, never gets irritated or bitchy. Puts up with everything life or God or whatever has thrown at him and tried to knock him down, but it hasn't worked. Physically, yes, it's knocked him down, but mentally he's winning, or he's won even, because he still survives. It may not be much of a life if you compare it to yours, or mine even, but if you want to learn about tolerance, or strength of character, or resilience, or rolling with the punches, learn from him. And if you ever don't feel like counting your blessings because your life is shit, go and count his, and then tell me who's worse off. But enough of the lecture, and enough about him. It's his wife I wanted to talk about. 56 man visits a week takes a lot of carers. Two people can't do every visit, despite what that mad woman thinks. But the trouble is, the agency is running out of carers because so many people won't go back, and all because of her. How can I put this politely? Actually, diary, why should I bother? It's only you. The woman is a cunt. There, I said it. 
I don't like that word and I rarely use it, but sometimes it says just what you want it to say and it sums up someone in a way that everyone can easily understand. She's a cunt. Don't get me wrong, she's a bitch too, and a cow, a harridan, I like that word, a witch, a nasty piece of work, as my mother used to say when she was still lucid, a troublemaker, and an all-round, straight-down-the-line, horrible person. Oh, and a disgrace to her sex and humanity too, so a cunt then. Why, you may ask. Well. First of all, she treats us carers like dirt, like we're her servants, or worse, her slaves. She bosses us about, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, why are you doing that, etc. And the thing is, which she doesn't realise, or get, or more likely doesn't care about, she is not the client, he is, and it's what he wants and feels that should be the main factor, but she thinks it's her. Part of our duty is to clean the kitchen for him, but she thinks our job is to clean the kitchen full stop. So she leaves all her shit there, like her takeaway boxes and her gin bottles, her dirty coffee cups and her half-eaten burgers and bags of chips, because she eats like a pig, or a horse, or both at once. And because it takes a long time to clean up all her mess, she complains and says we're too slow. And she never says please or thank you or shows any gratitude at all. Not that she has to. I mean, we get paid. It's our job. We don't do it for the thanks. But even so, please would be nice as John Travolta said in that movie, Pulp Fiction, what I saw with Tim in the days when we were still together and he hadn't found a nail bar technician to bang instead. Sorry, but that's how I feel. And it's not challenging behaviour. I know what challenging behaviour is. I've done the training. And really that applies to service users who don't know any better or are frustrated and angry because of the situation they're in. But with people who aren't service users, they don't really have that excuse, or she doesn't. So a lot of the carers will go once or twice and then say to the agency that they don't want to go again. Or else she phones the agency and says don't send them back, they aren't suitable. I mean, we are allowed to say to the agency if we don't want to work with someone, and I've said it a few times, not often, and I'm tempted to say it about her, but it's him, you see. I feel so sorry for him, not that he needs my pity, but still. And it's not just the carers she's horrible to. She got banned from the shopping centre. Can you imagine that? Not one shop, mind, but a whole shopping centre. Every shop. Which must include shops she doesn't even shop in. Shops she's never even visited. Shops she doesn't even know exist. Shops that haven't even opened yet. And even they don't want her. And the milkman stopped delivering to them because she was so rude and nasty. In the end he said, sod it, I'm not going. And stopped going. That is one mean, ornery woman. And she wanders in and out. I mean, he can't leave the flat, can't leave his room, can't leave the chair, really, except to go in the hoist to the bathroom. It's on a track, so you can go up and around the corner like a little roller coaster, only it doesn't go up and down, and then back to his chair. But she disappears for hours at a time. I expect to try and get past the security guards at the shopping centre and sneak in where she's banned. Don't get me wrong. They're married, and it can't be easy or have been easy for her. I get that. But he's the one with the disability. He's the one that God has laughed at, not her. So I don't see why she has to be quite so unpleasant. Some people you get the impression it's not circumstance or bad luck that's made them miserable or angry or unpleasant. It's that they're just unpleasant people and would have been no matter the hand they'd been dealt. And she's one of them. She'd be a cunt if she won the lottery. She'd be a cunt if she was married to Prince Harry. She'd be a cunt if she had a bum like Kim Kardashian 
or boobs like Katie Price or she was Amanda Holden or my favourite, Kate Garraway. A couple of months ago I'd had enough. Enough of being shouted at, cussed, cursed, abused, moaned at, snarled at, complained at, tutted about, sighed at, sniffed at, looked down her nose at, pointed at and all the other acts you can think of. So I went to the agency and I said, that's it, I've had enough. Please go back, said Julia, who's what they call the coordinator. What they call. That's what Patricia Hodge used to say, isn't it? Bear with. Why should I? I said, reasonably, I thought. That woman treats us like dirt. We're not servants. I'm not a servant. Why should I be spoken to like that? I don't need it. If you don't go back, we've got no one else to send. No one else will go. And he needs the care. Don't blackmail me with his care, I said. That's your responsibility, not mine. Or social services. You should get them to speak to the woman. Give them an ultimatum. Please, said Julia, pleading. No, I said. I've had enough. I don't get paid enough to put up with her shit. I was angry. I'll tell you what, said Julia. What if I ask my manager to arrange a meeting with social services and tell them that if they don't sort her out, we won't provide care anymore? If I do that, will you carry on going until we have that meeting? OK, I said, but it's got to be within two weeks. I won't stay for more than two weeks. It's a deal, said Julia. Thanks. So I went back, diary, like the sap that I am. I'll keep you posted with the outcome, but I don't have much hope that anything will happen or change. The next time I went, the woman called me a bitch. I must be a saint. Friday. I was coming out of Clive's house, my first call of the day, when my phone rang. It was Julia from the agency. Rita, she said. That's me, I said. I need your help, darling. I wish she wouldn't call me darling. Sharon's crashed her car. She can't do the rest of her calls. Can you do them? We're desperate. I can't, Julia, I said. I've got a full rotor. You know that. I've got eight calls to do. I can't fit any more in. You can, Rita. I've spoken to my manager. Cut some of your calls short and you can add them in. They're all nearby, please. Some of them are high priority. The agency prioritises all the calls. One, two, three. A one is critical, while a three means the person could manage if they had to. It had to be done to meet council requirements for a contingency plan in the event of hurricane or terrorist attack or act of God. If I do short calls to fit more in, Julia, that's called, cr that's called cramming. You know that. It's a disciplinary. I've read the handbook. Rita doesn't call cram. Don't worry about that, said Julia. We'll sort it. Only if I get paid for the commission time, for all of them, I said. Commission times means I get paid for half an hour, even if I only do 20 minutes. Deal, said Julia. And Rita, what? Thanks. Text me what we just agreed, Julia, and I'll do it. Don't you trust me? No, I said. How's Sharon? Sore and grumpy. I've got to rush, said Julia. Tuesday. Listen, diary, I bought a bike. I'm fed up waiting for buses and using your car is a joke. Petrol costs a fortune and you can't park anywhere. Let me tell you a story. I go and see Rosie in those flats near the station. You know what I mean. And if you don't, tough. I'm not giving any more clues. It's a nightmare parking there. Anyway, I get there. 
and she lives on the ninth floor, so I park, and I go up in the lift and I ring the bell and she answers the door eventually on account of her legs aren't too good and she uses a Zimmer frame which catches on the rugs. And she says, you need a parking permit. It's a new system. You have to put a permit in the car, otherwise you'll get towed away. But I'm only here for half an hour. It doesn't matter. If you don't have a permit in the windscreen, you'll get a ticket. Here's one. Run downstairs and put it in the car. And she gives me a parking ticket. So I have to go down in the lift, which takes forever to arrive, and go to my car and put my permit in the car and then get the lift back, which takes an age. Where have you been? says Rosie, whose memory is not the greatest. You ages. I need my commode. So that took me two minutes to park, five minutes to get to Rosie's flat, two minutes for her to answer the door, two minutes for her to tell me that I need a parking permit, five minutes to go down in the lift, two minutes to go to the car and put the permit in the windscreen, and five minutes to get back to Rosie's. You do the maths. Actually, I'll save you the trouble. It comes to 23 minutes. And what do I get paid for? Yep, 30 minutes. So 52 minutes that call takes me and I get paid for half an hour, which, and I'll do the maths for you, is £4.80 because that council doesn't want its staff to get the London living wage. Only it isn't because I forgot. I have to go back down to the car when I've finished, get the permit, bring it back to Rosemary and then go back down again and go to my next call, which takes me 12 minutes to get to, which I don't get paid for either. Why do I do this job? I must be mad. All carers are mad. But if we didn't do it, if we didn't put up with this shit, this lousy pay, travelling for nothing, getting paid by the minute or the second even, what would happen to your mum or your gran or your sister or all the others? You tell me. You write to Mystery Hour on LBC and see if James O'Brien has the answer to that one. In his smug voice with his Chiswick house and his fancy wife and his cute little daughters. So anyway, I bought a bike from this bike project place. It was quite cheap and a helmet safety first and I shall cycle to my visits and sod the car and the parking and the petrol and I'll be fit too fitter anyway Thursday today was a strange day diary and I'm still not sure how I feel about it mixed emotions I have diary mixed emotions I saw Jack for the first time Jack is a young man in his 20s I won't be more precise for various reasons and god is he gorgeous he was in a motorcycle accident and he's paralysed from the neck down, so he's trapped. But God gave him the most beautiful face. Dark, a straight nose, dark eyes, perfect features, thick black wavy hair and a black beard. He's lost weight, inevitably. But you can tell he had a great body and still does, if you get my meaning. It must be awful for him. He could have got any girl up he wanted, I imagine. They'd fall at his feet. I'm sure I would have done if I was younger. And even now, at my age, I had a hard time stopping myself. But I'm a professional, with a job to do. So I can worship from afar, as they say. But that's as far as it goes. I've been tempted sometimes, of course I have. And God was I tempted today. But there are boundaries, I know that. I understand that and I respect that. But boy, if I was going to cross a boundary, I'd cross that one, believe you me. I'm going on a bit, diary, but there's a reason, believe me. It's awkward. But I'm going to be honest. I hope no one ever reads this, and if they do, I hope they don't think badly of me if they do. I don't think I deserve that. But diary, you can be judge render, and I don't have anyone else to talk to. He needs a lot of care, does Jack. And because of his situation and his needs, there's two of us, 
On this occasion, it was me and a male carer called Justin. We'd finished our personal care with Jack, and Justin had taken the dressings and the rest of the clinical waste away to dispose of it. I was standing beside the bed, but facing away, sorting out Jack's bedside table and tidying his things. He was lying in the bed. There's nowhere else for him to go. I was wearing a skirt with stockings and suspenders. Why? Well, two reasons. One, I like it sometimes. It makes me feel feminine. And two, why shouldn't I? It's my life. I'm an independent woman. I can wear what I like. Suddenly, I felt Jack's hand on the back of my leg. It slid quickly up my stocking, pushing my skirt up until it reached bare flesh. And there he stopped. And then, before I had time to notice, he took his hand away. I spun round. Jack! I said. It wasn't a shout, but my voice was louder than normal. What the hell do you think you're doing? He lay there, all innocent, with his beautiful face and his dark, thoughtful eyes and his big beard, and he smiled. What's the matter? he said. You know damn well what's the matter. Don't you dare do that again. What? he said. What did I do? You know very well what you did, I said. I didn't do anything, he said with that little smile, tempting me, pushing me, testing me. You ran your hand up my leg, I said, under my, under my, under my skirt. No, he said, that couldn't have been me. I'm paralysed, remember? Don't give me that, I said. You're not that paralysed. If you do that again, what? What will you do? Will you get angry? Will you get mad? Are you going to paralyse me? I think I'd like to see that. You mustn't, Jack. I said, I'll report you to the agency and I won't come any more. I'm scared, he said. He didn't look scared to me. But I wouldn't want you not to come again. And he gave me this little smile. Justin came back into the room then. Jack looked at me. It was a long look with those dark eyes and I held his gaze as neither of us seemed keen to look away. I think Justin noticed. Will you be back, said Jack, looking at me. See you tomorrow, said Justin. Jack looked at me and winked. It wasn't a sleazy or a crude or offensive wink like I get in pubs sometimes or from drivers who stop and see me at traffic lights. It was a nice wink and Jack smiled when he did it and I wanted to see it again. I'll be honest. Yes, I said. I hope so. I'm conflicted, diary. I want to go back. I want to see him again. But what he did was wrong and I might. I, I ought to report it. But also, I don't want to report it, I mean... And what if I go back and he does it again? Maybe I secretly hope that he does. And maybe not so secretly, seeing as I've told you about it. And what if Justin saw and reports me and accuses me of sexually harassing Jack? It could happen. See? Conflicted. I think I'd tell the agency I'd rather not go back to Jack. I'll be sad and maybe he will too, but maybe it's better that way. This job, diary. Sometimes. This job. I don't know. Friday. Agnes is a racist, and I think it's wrong. No, I don't think. It is wrong. Agnes is in her 70s, still sprightly, even though she has her two visits a day. White, posh, wealthy, a nice life in the past, and not that bad now. Husband dead, of course. Husbands all die first. Everyone knows that. Never really worked. Didn't have to, just played at it. Had a shop. Didn't work in it herself, of course, and then it went broke. Beautiful flat with enormous rooms, Persian rugs, chandeliers, genuine antiques, fine porcelain, silver cutlery in a wooden box. 
Nothing from Ikea or Wayfair or Debenhams. She's South African originally, so she knows her England or her version of England. The England of people like her. She doesn't like black people, especially Africans and West Indians. Asians, Arabs, Japanese, Chinese, Muslims or Jews. She's okay with Europeans, as far as, say, Poland, but Bulgarians, Hungarians, Romanians and, of course, Russians. She can't stand Gypsies, travellers, Romanies, whatever you call them, she hates with a passion. Canadians, Australians and New Zealanders, she thinks are boring. The Welsh are okay, as are the Irish, because she had an ancestor who was given land in Ireland by Cromwell. But the Scots, she can't abide. People from Yorkshire are okay, and those from the West Country. But anyone east of, say, Cambridge, i.e. East Anglia, Norfolk, Lincolnshire, is beyond the pale. And of course she can't stand people from Essex, not that she's ever been there, or met someone from there. Manchester is all right, but Liverpool, Sheffield and Newcastle, she can't abide. Actually, I don't think she knows where Newcastle is. She had a friend in Bristol, descended from a slave trader, I shouldn't wonder, so they're all right. Strange, isn't it, diary? She's made her world so small and excluded so many different people that now there's hardly anyone left. Just her and a few of her posh friends standing or mostly sitting on their antique chairs in this little white corner they've painted themselves into and hating and moaning about everyone else. Why would you do that? Why would you exclude so much of humanity because their skin was a different colour from yours, or their hair grew curly instead of straight, or they spoke with an accent that was different from yours? I mean, why would you do that? What do you gain from making yourself separate like that? I've tried talking to her, but it's like banging your head against a brick wall. She likes her horrible, empty, racist life. She has photographs of her heroes on the wall, Nigel Farage, Enoch Powell, Faverd, her ultimate hero, Katie Hopkins, Jacob Rees-Mogg, Boris Johnson. She's a distant relative of Rees-Mogg and had a Christmas card from him. I think she worships his double-breasted suits, his Catholic faith, his black-rimmed glasses and his posh voice with the same accent as hers. She's nice enough to me, I suppose, but I'm white and don't talk with a regional accent and that makes me a bit uneasy. Like we're in it together, co-conspirators, and I share her views, which I don't, of course. Sunday. I was out last night, first time in ages. Me and Frankie went to the pub. Frankie's my mate, and she's a care worker too. And she lives, she lives in a neighbouring borough and works for a different agency. She doesn't get London living wage like I do, so she's worse off than me. But her old man's got a decent job, so she's not that bothered. People don't change jobs that that easily and they don't change for a bit more money diary although you might think they would i mean i know my company i know the people i work for i'm loyal even if they are a bit rubbish and don't seem to know what they're doing half the time but that's the same everywhere isn't it anyway she told me this story she'd heard or seen on facebook or twitter whatever it was one of those things that go viral you know spreads like wildfire there was this care worker Worked in a rural county, did a lot of miles. She was from Eastern Europe. Not that that's relevant, but she was. And so the agency provided her with a car, or loaned her a car, whatever. And the carers did loads of visits and loads of miles, and so they had loads of accidents, always in a hurry, not concentrating, probably checking their phone to find the next call on Google Maps, and so the insurance premiums were going through the roof. And so the agency had just switched to a new insurer. So this carer... I'll call her Sophia, although her real name was Sophia. <laughs> she was driving through one of those little villages out in the country, 
all thatched roofs and pretty blonde stone, wisteria round the door, chocolate boxing, Frankie calls it. And she was going down the narrow high street, probably looking at house numbers, and she crashed into this brand new Bentley, some pawn baron driving, millionaire personal number plate, on his way from the showroom, probably, or he crashed into her, one of the two. So, massive row in the street. He's out and shouting at her. She's out and ranting at him. He threatens her or something. So she gets back in the car, heads off down the street and rams into four more parked cars, sideswiping them and finally hits a bus. 250 grand's worth of damage, said Frankie. I mean, can you imagine phoning the insurance company? I said, um, I need to report an accident. <laughs> Priceless, I tell you, diary. These stories like that make me love being a home carer. Tuesday. The agency is, ah, uh, I'm never quite sure, doing its annual survey. They write to all the service users and enclose a survey form which the clients are asked to complete and return. The clients aren't supposed to ask the care workers to fill it out, but many do. When I got to Sam's house, he gave me the form and said, fill this out for me, love. He always calls me love. I'm not supposed to fill it out, I said. I could get into trouble. Don't worry about that, said Sam. It'll be our secret. Tell you what, you read out the questions, I'll answer, and you write down my answers. How's that? OK, I said. Sometimes it's easier to give in, although I shouldn't. My care workers help me stay in touch with my community, I said. Is that a question, said Sam? No, it's a statement. There are options. What are the options? said Sam. Disagree strongly, disagree, neither disagree nor agree, agree, agree strongly, I said. That sounds like nonsense, said Sam. I do what I do and you do what you do and you're bloody good at it. Put that. Anyway, I hate my community, always have. There's not an option for that, I said. Okay then, put agree strongly for everything to do with you, love, and the middle one for everything else. You're lovely. And so are all the other carers, but the agency is crap. I feel quite loyal to my agency. After all, I've been there for 12 years. So I said, they're not too bad, are they? What's the problem? They never answer the phone. And if you're off and I phone them and ask them who's coming, they say they'll phone back and they never do. And they sound dozy, half of them. Why don't I put that then? Instead of neither agree nor disagree, which doesn't really say anything, I said. Oh, I don't want to complain, love. Get someone in trouble doesn't seem fair, really. But if they don't know what's wrong, how will they know how to do it better? I said, logically, I thought. Um, maybe. Anyway, I'm sick of surveys. I get this one, one from the council, one from those care quality people. I get Age UK and some other one which I can't remember. Which magazine, probably. So many bloody surveys, but nothing ever changes. I'm sorry, Sam. I said, shall I put that down? No, love, don't bother. I don't like to make a fuss. OK, last statement, I said. I would recommend my agency to someone else. Who? Anybody. Would you recommend them to anybody? What are the options? Said Sam. Always the same, I said. Disagree strongly, disagree. Neither would disagree nor agree. Agree, agree strongly. If it's you, Rita, I agree strongly. If not, I'll just agree. That's very kind of you, Sam, I said. No problem, love. Friday. I've got a bad back. Let me tell you how it happened. I went to see Morag, who lives in a big house near the river with two cats and a little dog. 
I quite like dogs ordinarily, but I don't know this breed. It's medium size with little legs. It's called Beau, and he, she, I can never tell, behaves himself or herself and doesn't bite me or lick me all over like some of them do, and not just dogs. The cats are nice. They're indoor cats, so there's always a smell of wee and faeces as they do their business in a tray, which Morag keeps on the landing. But they're friendly and affectionate, and I'll pick them up and give them a little cuddle, unless they've just been to the toilet. Morag needed some shopping, and her care plan says that shopping is one of the tasks we can do for her if she likes. Mostly her daughter does an Ocado for her. Phones her up and gets her order, which takes ages because Morag keeps changing her mind about what she wants. And then it's delivered, and the drivers, they're very good, take the bags into her kitchen and put it away for her. But today she fancied some bits from Mark's, and it's not far, and I get paid to go. She's a private client, social services doesn't pay for shopping. So I went. I won't bore you with what I bought. Actually, yes I will. Four tins of soup, some frozen peas, a lamb shoulder joint, two litres of milk, two cartons of pineapple juice and one carton of that tropical juice which is horrible and I can't afford it anyway. I packed them away in two carrier bags which Morag gave me, recycling, and walked to my car. When I got back to Morag's house I reached into the car to get the bags and felt a sudden sharp pain in my lower back. I lurched into her house and put the bags down. Are you all right? she said. I think I've done my back. I said, lifting those bags. Oh dear, she said. I hope you're not going to sue me. I had one of your lot did her back in and she sued the agency and they settled for thousands. They tried to counterclaim against me but my solicitor told them where to go. I wasn't planning to sue, I said, but I think I need to rest my back. That was this afternoon, diary, and now my back is killing me. I've taken two Nurofen and I'm going to lie down flat on the floor. Richard can get chips for his tea. What a pain. No, I mean literally. What a pain. In my back. You've been listening to The Diary of a Home Care Worker by Rita Nemo with Julian Hutchings. Make sure you look out for episode four. Thanks for listening.